three weeks, we've been walking through the story of Habakkuk, and we began this series with the story of one of our church families, and I, I want to share another one with you. Um, this is Kara's story. Kara Teague, and now Kara McNeil, uh, was 17 in 2008. Um, and in 2008, she had an injury um, that as she started going to the doctor, realized that the injury was a, a lot more involved than what they thought it would be. Maybe some physical therapy, maybe it would involve uh, a small surgery. But as they went and uh, they, they began discussing and talking to a surgeon, um, they diagnosed her with hip dysplasia and a labral tear. Now, the only time I'd ever heard of a hip dysplasia was from my dog, okay? Um, I don't think Kara would appreciate that very much, but that's all I'd heard of it. That's all the reference point I had. But essentially, this is kind of, those of you who have never faced something like that, and very few of us have, as a 17-year-old especially, because at 17, you're what? You're invincible. I mean, nothing can go wrong. Nothing can happen to you. You can face the day. Everything's going to go your way. It's a new time in life. You're going to turn 18. You got freedom. You got choices. But hers changed. Her future changed greatly. Her plans for college were traded with surgery. Her hip situation meant that there was no cushion, there was no protection, there was no stability, and so surgery was going to be necessary. The early prognosis from the doctors that there would probably be three of these surgeries, and each of them would be followed by physical therapy. And so this news sidetracked. I mean, if you're 17, uh, you're in your senior year, you're, you're thinking, hey, I'm going to graduate, and if college is in my future, I'm going to head off to college in the fall. I, I'm going to try to, to walk you through the next few years with Kara, for Kara, uh, but I'm going to try not to give you too many medical de definitions so that you don't get squeamish on me. Some of you get a little, little weird when somebody starts describing medical things, so I'm going to stay safe for you, all right, this morning. But walking became extremely painful at times. Crutches were a way of life. If crutches were not possible, then wheelchair through some of this process, but all of her plans, plans just changed. So let me recount a little bit of her journey for you. 2009, November, Kara went through her first surgery. Bones were, yeah, bones were fixed and repaired. Screws were put in um, to give stability, to help the recovery process. July of 2010, uh, less than a year later, screws were taken out. October of 2010, bone spurs were removed. Doing some, they were doing some difficult problem, make, causing some problems to her muscles. And so they went in and said, we got to get rid of those. That was October of 2010. December 2011, surgery number four. She had a labral repair, tendon surgery, microfractures. July 2012. If you're keeping count, that's number five. Another cleanup, another construction, another work in her hip. June of 2014, a labral repair, more bone work to allow, hopefully for proper healing to take place. April 2015, another procedure with the same hip, with the same situations taking place, repeating almost themselves. 2016, surgery number Eight in seven years. I don't know if you've undergone one surgery, but one is plenty. All of those were followed by physical therapy. All those were followed up by the changes that would necessitate the, the difficulties. 
she would be in the process of going through surgeries, also pursuing um, her undergrad degree, wanting to pursue and desiring to pursue physical therapy school afterwards. And so she began that pursuit. But her decisions, her late teen years, her early 20s, were not dictated that many of ours would be about, what do you want to do tonight? Who do you want to hang out with? Where do you want to go? What activity would you like to do? Hers really were facing each day, I'm going to have to make a mental decision or I'm going to have to make a physical decision. Meaning, if I want to go ice skating with my friends, I know that that means for several days or a week, I'm going to pay for it physically. But if I don't go with my friends, then mentally and emotionally, I'm going to be disconnected one more time and I'm going to be isolated. I'm going to be cut off. So there's this wrestling that's taking place for Kara. Her, her memories, as she continued, she went through college, graduated through college, but during the middle of one of those fall years, times of the year, we, after the hurricane, we had a couple beautiful days, have we not? Um, Saturday was just a glorious day of weather that we're looking, and even though we're, we're picking up the pieces, trying to put it all back together, Kara remembers one fall day. She said this, she said, I couldn't walk, I couldn't move, I couldn't lay down. She was facing surgery number five. She said, I couldn't sit up. I couldn't take a deep breath without pain. I was over it. I remember staring out my dorm window, watching the stereotypical college scene take place outside on the field. A few girls were on blankets, studying, eating snacks together, laughing. A few guys were throwing Frisbee. A couple were playing football. It was a beautiful fall day, but I was furious. I was frustrated. I was angry that I wasn't able to be out there. This journey, though, was filled with some God moments. This journey was filled with some God moments, which came in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of the waiting. And that's where we left Habakkuk last week. Week one was the embracing and the wrestling that Habakkuk went through. Chapter two, we saw him acknowledging, say, God, I'm going to wait on you. And there were some God moments that definitely or were on display in Kara's life while she waited. One of those was a surprise to me. I remember going to make, not a total surprise, but I remember going to make a visit uh, to her last surgery. And when I went in to go visit with her, there was a young man there. His name's Thomas. It's now her husband. I knew Thomas, I knew Kara, but I didn't know there was quite yet a them. But it was apparent that day there was a them, all right? And so I'm watching this, and I'm seeing this. Thomas, a couple years later, became husband. And their dating and their relationship wasn't forged in sweet walks in the park or getting to choose wherever they wanted to go for their dates. Their dates and their romance was forged over crutches, wheelchairs, and playing Mario Kart while they recovered. That's how and when their relationship formed. It wasn't outside of the embracing and the wrestling. It wasn't outside of the waiting. It was in the middle of the waiting. In the middle of waiting, she applied for, uh, for doctorate studies at Elon University for physical therapy. She was waitlisted. In the middle of that is when God brought Thomas into her life. And so when I say there's some God moments... Think through this with me. The reality is while she was waiting on physical therapy school, 
God was preparing her to be more empathetic and more emotionally prepared to treat her patients than any other student in her class. Because she'd been through physical therapy. She'd walked through that. God also delivered to her an unexpected gift and, and a husband that would walk with her through the long days of school. That wasn't unexpected. It was a plan that allowed some of you in our congregation to pray for, to pray with, to surround her. Here's what I want you to know. This is not a made-up story. This is one of our students, turns one of our adults, becomes married, is now a student worker. This is one of us in this room. This is a journey that I could change out some of the information, obviously not eight surgeries for very few of you. I could replace that with six or seven bouts of cancer. I could replace that with the loss of a loved one. And we could all in this room empathize to some point that we've walked on a journey that we've wrestled and embraced, that we've waited. We get to see from Kara's journey maybe a glimpse into some of ours. Week one of our journey, we saw hope in the dark. Again, Habakkuk is in a dialogue vision with the Lord. It's so unique. Uh, Habakkuk was a prophet, and he was a prophet to an, an area of the people of Israel that he was alone. This guy was about to deliver a message to the people of Israel that would not have been popular, and so he's dialoguing with the Lord. That's part of the vision. That's a beautiful piece of this vision we get to see. He was wrestling in chapter 1 when he said, chapter 1, verse 2, he said, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or or cry to violence, and you will not save? Do you hear his wording? God, where are you? I'm yelling for you. Do you see what's taking place around you? Do you hear me? God replied to Habakkuk, but not in the way that he would have imagined, not with the answer that he would have hoped for. So Habakkuk does not sulk. He doesn't cross his arms and go into hiding. What does Habakkuk do? He goes, chapter 2 tells us, he goes to the watch post and he overlooks the city and he's waiting with expectation because what God does next in chapter 2 God speaks about his own character. God doesn't say, Habakkuk, you tell me about me. I'll tell you about me. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do to the nation of Israel. I'll tell you what I'm going to do to the enemy. And I'm going to remind you that I am on the throne. And so we saw last week that even though there's seasons of waiting, that we can wait with expectation based on the character of God not apart from the character of God. We can wait with expectation based on the character of God. God instructs Habakkuk, he says, write these visions down. Write down what you're seeing. Write down what you're hearing. And one of the greatest reminders he gives them in chapter 2 is, I will move in my appointed time. If it's not God's time, you can't force it. And if it is God's time, you can't stop it. Habakkuk, I'm going to move in my time, and my time alone. You can't force it. You can't stop it. But know this, I am in control. Wait on me. Trust me. And then in chapter 3, we see this beautiful transition that happens. And I want you to see it this morning, because as we walk through this passage I'm going to ask you to allow it to dictate our time of worship at the end of the service today. 
So this is a preparation for us as we continue this morning. Habakkuk chapter 3, I want us to see this morning that hope found in the middle of hardship leads to faith-filled worship. That sounds contrary to what most of us want to believe, but this is the reality, that when we experience hope that's found in the middle of hardship, it leads us to an expression of worship and prayer that we could have never imagined. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1, it's important for us to see what takes place at the beginning. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to the Shigyanoth, all right, if you had a hard time finding Habakkuk, you definitely have a hard time with Shigyanoth, all right? So uh, I'm just going to leave that up there for a minute. Can you guys just say Shigyanoth with me? Ready? One, two, three. Shigyanoth. Yeah, sounds good. You have no idea what you just said. All right, Shigyanoth is only used in that form once and another form, another time in the Old Testament. It's very rarely used in Hebrew literature. But here's what we do know about this phrase. He says, uh, here's the prayer. His response to chapter 2 is, I'm going to pray, but I'm going to pray through a shigyanoth. It is a musical presentation. It is a musical praise. It's a musical term. It means to have instruments with you. It means to lift up, to rejoice. It is not somber. It is not sad. It is not ho-hum. It is not a depressing country song. I, I started thinking about this, and uh, I did a, a search for the most depressing country songs. Just give you a couple. Um, if you won't leave me, I'll find someone who will. <laughs> Thank God and Greyhound, she's gone. It's from the 70s. There you go. This one I can't find a recording of, but I can find the lyrics. It says, when you wrapped my lunch in a road map, I knew you meant goodbye. <laughs> if you're under 15, you don't even know what a road map is, okay? But I love the implication. This is not Habakkuk. Chapter 1 and 2, that may have been, if it was a song, if it was a prayer, that may have been the expression that he would have given us. But chapter 3 includes this little, little word. It means a vibrant, energetic worship. One commentary said, it is praise punctuated with an exclamation mark. So when we read this today, I'm not going to read it with drudgery. I'm not going to read it with sadness. I'm going to read it with exclamation marks. Chapter 3, verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, there is a prophetic word given from God to the Habakkuk and to the people of Israel in chapter 2 that God is going to in chapter 1, he's going to bring the enemy to, to dispel judgment on God's people. In chapter 2, God is going to bring wrath on the people that brought the rebellion upon his people. And so th this is him coming back around to um, answering that. And he says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord. Do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Scripture tells us that His mercies are new every morning. 
If I could just summarize that for us easily, simply, I've heard the stories of your provision. I've heard what you're speaking to me in this vision. I am in awe of who you are. Would you do it again? Would you repeat this? My daughter nannied for two summers for a family here in the church, and um, now they have three children, and most of the time when she was nannying for them, they had two. And um, so this, I don't know if this happens in your house, but you start to follow people, and so, um, you know, social media, but also this family, when something cute happens with their kids, they send the video to Bailey, Bailey sends it to us, and we all get around our little screens, you know, I don't know why we don't all look on our own screen, but we get around our screen, and we go, oh, look at this cute video. The, the last one was this little girl, she was reciting a scripture memory verse that she had learned. And so we all get around and we press play. Oh, it's so cute. Press play. Do you want to see it again? Press play. And don't laugh at me, you do it too. You forward me some of them, all right? You say, oh, pastor, you got to see this. Watch this. Oh, pastor, this is, this is so awesome. Watch this. Oh, to your coworker, you got you to see this. This is amazing. Habakkuk is saying, God, I have heard the reports. I know who you are. Revive it. Do it again. I remember what you have done. Therefore, I trust you with what you will do. I have heard it. I have seen it. Repeat it. And so then he gives us a brief history lesson. I'm not going to go through all this, verse 3 through 6. He gives them a little bit of a history lesson, gives us a history lesson. God came from Taman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Now again, these don't make a lot of sense in 2018, but to the people that would have heard this in this prophetic message, these are two cities, Taman and Mount Paran, and two locations where God moved his people post-deliverance in some times of refuge and redemption. So he's recalling their history. He's declaring their history to the Lord. And then he says, His splendor covered the earth. The earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His ways, his his were the everlasting ways. Chapter 1 and 2, wrestle, embrace, wait. I'm expecting God to move based on his character. Chapter 3, I am going to have a worship service based on what I know and remember that God has done. As we remember the movement of God in the past, we're able to trust and worship God with our future. I know that's a long sermon point. As we remember the movement of God in the past, we're able to trust and worship God with our futures. Habakkuk, what was he doing? Chapter 3. He wasn't there when a million plus people were delivered out of bondage and into freedom, but he had heard. It was recorded. He wasn't there when God shook the mountain to display his might and power. 
during the exodus and during the giving of the commands, but he recalled the history. Habakkuk wasn't around to see the Red Sea part and God's power on display, but he is remembering, he is in awe, he is in reverence, he is in praise, he is in worship, and he's declaring with emphasis, with exclamation points, the, the greatness of God. We saw last week the benefits and the command that God gave him. Write this down in a vision. And I encourage you if, you, if you don't journal, to write thoughts down, ideas, prayers. I asked Kara and her family, I said, do you, do you guys have any, any journal entries that you wrote down? And one of them was from her mom. I, don't worry, I have permission to share. This was from November 2009, post the first surgery. And it says this, from her journal. This is day three at the hospital. It's the second day after surgery. Kara had a great night. I'm sitting here having my quiet time and feeling overwhelmed about how great God is. He brought us the most awesome and best doctor. His love endures forever. He put Dana Myers, a church member, in place of post-operative nurse so that they could give her the VIP treatment and loved on all of us. His love endures forever. He brought our pastor to be with Kara before surgery. His love endures forever. He gave us the best anesthesiologist. His love endures forever. I know some of you are thinking, man, that's a weird one to praise God for. But when you go through eight surgeries, that's an important detail. He gave us the love of a wonderful husband, of a father, of a sister. His love endures forever. He gave us the love of a family who are awesome. His love endures forever. He gave us Bible buddies that have loved and prayed before and now during surgery and recovery all of their support has been immeasurable. His love endures forever. He's given me peace and comfort as I'm surrounded by the greatness, about, surrounded by His awesomeness and the goodness of my God. His love endures forever. She wrote that in the middle of the waiting. She didn't write that six months later as if things had gotten incredibly easy she wrote that in the middle of the trial in the middle of the embracing in the middle of the wrestling in the middle of the waiting and this is what Habakkuk is doing it's a God I remember moment and I believe every single one of us have some moments in our lives that we can recall and say God I remember when I remember when God I remember when you moved in this way or that God I'll share a few of mine. God, I remember being a, a selfish jerk in college and having dating relationships that served myself. So you broke me. You took me low. You offered me grace and mercy. You provided me a gift of a wife that I did not deserve. God, I remember. I remember being in seminary and all we wanted to do was go on a date, and we had no money. I'm not talking village tavern kind of date, if you know the reference. I'm not talking about an outback date. I'm talking a Taco Bell date, all right? We just wanted to leave the house and go do something. We had no money. I, I will distinctly remember, God, I'll remember going to the post office box, and one of the cheapest, tight, most tight-wadded people I've ever known in college sent us a check to go on a date, and it was in the post office box that day. 
I'll never forget that. God, I remember those moments. God, I remember you leading us and giving us unison on what direction we were to pursue in ministry when we were unclear. God, I remember when, and I will trust you to move again. Revive it. It may come in wrestling. It may come in embracing But with time, with patience, with perspectives, we begin to see things differently. We realize a lot in hindsight that God has brought something amazing out of ashes. That God has brought something amazing out of grief. That God has brought something amazing out of heartache and pain and suffering. Kara's story is not your surgery, your story, but you have yours. It may be that in order to move out of the darkness today that you need to remember what God has done. And I know I've reminded you of this every single week, but it is where we find our hope. So I've got to draw us back to this every single week of this series. That we, if you say, well, pastor, I got a lot of remember wins, but man, they are painful. I remember when you brought me out of, I mean, you brought me out of difficulties and you're still bringing me out. I remember when, they're not highlight reels. But let me give you one that we all have. I have hope, and I remember when, because I have hope that is offered to me through the gift of Jesus Christ. You have hope because of the gift of Jesus Christ. In your remembering, know this. If you're searching your brain and your heart, trying to come up with an I remember moment, and you don't have one, let me impart one for you. A holy God who created everything from the mountains that Habakkuk says that he shook, and the rays of light that he placed into motion, that God, through an unexpected, orchestrated, complex plan, offered hope through his only son, Jesus Christ. Through his death, through his resurrection, you can have eternal hope. It doesn't mean you're going to escape all the difficulties of this world. We live in a sinful world. It is broken. It is going to take place. But on those days, we can say, as the writer of Hebrews does, let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You can have hope this morning. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, God, I remember what Jesus Christ has offered for me in the past. And I need to cling to it today. You've never confessed of your sins. You've never opened up and said, I'm tired of trying to trust myself. I'm going to surrender and give myself to this incredible God who's offered me salvation. Today, I want to remember, today's the day that I accept the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. But when nothing appears to go our way, when one surgery turns into eight, when the prayers we prayed have delayed answers, What takes place is we learn not to trust our senses, but to trust God's promises. That's what Habakkuk began to learn. Hey, I'm not going to just stay in my circumstances, in my senses, in my difficulties. I'm going to trust in the promises of God. And what I'm going to do in spite of that is I'm going to have some faith-filled worship. 
in the middle of difficulties. That's what verse 17 is about. It says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the yields, fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds, no herd in the stalls. Now, I'm just going to leave that for a second because this is agricultural farming language. 2018 doesn't really imply a whole lot to you and to me. But understand, if you follow, each one of those paragraphs begins with a statement there, a clause that we could put though in front of each one. Though the fig tree should not blossom, though the fruit not be on the vines, though the produce of the olive fields fail, though there is no food, though the flocks are cut off, though the stalls are empty of the herds. They get more severe as he goes through this poem, as he goes through this, uh, this, this prayer and this worship. But he's still in the Shigunah, folks. He's still in the emphatic worship. And he says, things are not good. Things are not smooth. Things have not gotten easy. There's severe things going on around us. Maybe for you and I, this doesn't resonate, but maybe some of these do. Even though my spouse said, till death do us part, and they're not living up to their end of the bargain, even though I raised my kids to know better, they're making very scary decisions right now. Even though we've prayed for someone's health to get better and they've gotten worse. Even though our house will not sell and our financial stability is on the line. Even though I don't like it. Even though I don't understand it. Even though I know he could and should, but he's not. Yet I will trust in the Lord. Because that's what he does. Verse 17, we hear despair. But verse 18, as a part of the same sentence that he gives us, he says, yet, even though, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He doesn't excuse the waiting. He doesn't excuse the embracing. He doesn't excuse the wrestling. He embraces it and said, Yet, while I'm in the middle of it, I will rejoice. I will have hope. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Yet I, chapter one, I'm going to tough it out, God. Chapter two, I'll wait. Chapter three, I'm going to worship. But pastor, you don't know. Chapter one, he'll tough it out. Chapter two, I'll wait. Chapter three, in the middle of, I am going to worship. Verse 18, I want to put that back on the screen. I would like us to read that this morning, and I'd like to, to read that with a little bit of exclamation point behind it, all right? In keeping with the text, all right? Ready? One, two, three. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You got close. You warmed up. Let's do it again. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I asked Kara, I said, in the middle of this, was there, were there songs, were there, were there things, worship songs that echoed in your mind? And she gave me several, and, and I only have time to share this one with you. We sang this song last week in this service. It was, Great Are You, Lord. 
And there's a verse in that song that says this, All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. Now, you're singing that song last Sunday, and the music's getting good, and the worship's getting to an exclamation point, but it doesn't mean the same thing to you as it does to somebody whose bones have been operated on eight times, declaring, these bones, this hip will sing, great are you, God. That is praise-filled prayers and worship in the middle of, not outside of the embracing, not outside of the wrestling, not outside of the waiting. It's right in the middle of it. It's a declaration to say this. God, I will remember what you have done. I must accept what God is doing, and I will trust what God is going to do. Remember what God has done. He recalls. Revive it. I'll accept what God is doing. Verse 17, I will trust what God is going to do. God, you're the Lord of my salvation. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. This is a 2,600-year-old praise worship song. Prayer-filled worship with instruments playing, with voices singing. He says, I will trust in God. I will move in my wrestling, in my embracing, in my waiting. I will move to trust in Him. Today, you, you may need to respond by acknowledging and trusting that because God has moved on your behalf and offered you hope through Jesus Christ, you need to surrender to Him today. Today, you may need to respond by taking time to remember and saying, God, I, I'm in the middle of turmoil. I want to remember the things that you've done. And today may be your day to let go, to cut loose, and in this service and beyond, to pray and worship with exclamation points. I will remember what God has done I will accept what God is doing. I will trust what God is going to do. You say, but pastor, where's chapter four where everything gets easy and everything comes great for a back in the nation of Israel and everything's smooth and easy. There's no chapter four. There's worship. There's waiting. There's embracing. There's hope in the middle of his story, in the middle of yours. There is hope, not because the circumstances have gotten easy, not because the waiting is smooth, but because what God has done on your behalf. May we worship. May we praise Him. May we rejoice in the God of our salvation. Let's pray.